Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we open Your Word this morning, we ask that through Your Holy Spirit, You would move in our hearts, our minds, draw us close to You, close together as a family of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, taking a little detour, you might say, but in a sense, uh, in balance with what we've been doing, is looking at the Beatitudes, what it is to rest in Christ as, his, as our Savior, to come to Him poor in spirit, mourning over our sins, hungering and thirsting after His righteousness, and, and seeking to serve Him, and realizing that this is something we do not only individually, but as a body of believers together, the body of Christ. And uh, the last song we sang was such a perfect introduction to this. I'd like to turn this morning, uh, instead of to Matthew, turning to Hebrews chapter uh, 10, some very familiar verses for you, uh, verses 19 through 25. The writer of Hebrews puts forth, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The focus this morning will be on verses 24 and 25, the idea of stirring up one another to the love of, uh, and good works and the meeting together as a common, uh, as the body of Christ, as the church. Uh, last spring, uh, we did a series of, through the book of Ephesians. Uh, talking about the church and, and the various aspects of, of, of the universal church, really in the sense of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ a, a, as a whole. And we touched a, a little bit on the idea of what it is to be a part of the local body of Christ. This morning, uh, I'd like to, to draw from this emphasis again, the idea of the local church stirring each other up in the sense of, of love and good works. Uh, and, and our relationship with God, to God's glory. And to start with, it's interesting, he says, to love and good works. And the idea is, is most people would, would look at this and say, obviously, he, the, the writer means to love, you know, love for one another. And, and I have no doubt that that's the, the, a primary thought here, but it's never alone because it always comes with the idea of the full picture of love, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of love first comes with the idea that we are surrendered to God. That we are in love with, uh, with the, the Lord who has saved us, who loves us, who first loved us, went to the cross before we were confessed sinners, before we were saved. He goes to the cross for us uh, and shows His love for us. And... This love that, that then, as we have for God, extends out one to another. And the love that we are to have for one another is a, is, is a love that exceeds anything the world 
offers or understands in the sense that it, it really comes with the idea of wanting, wanting God's very best for each other. Doing what we can and even sacrificing for each other so that, that God can work in our lives and, and, and draw us closer to Him. It starts in our families even, you know, spouses. Uh, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. And, and that idea of, of sacrificial love. And, and the wife is not excused from that. There's enough other scriptures that tie these things together to let us know that, that we are to love each other in the sense that what I see part of the relationship that I have with my wife is to try to the best of my ability to create an environment where she can become everything God wants her to be. But she's doing the same for me. And when we're sick, we care for one another. When we have needs, we, 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 we minister to one another. Uh, we're best friends, all of these things. And, and so there's a love relationship there. I, I'm excited to be able to say, you know, 45 years this year. And for some of you, that's a newbie. Uh, but uh, uh, the idea is, is that I, I, you know, this is what we're to be doing. But we're not only to be doing it in our homes with our wives, our families, and our, but we're to be doing it within the family, the body of Christ, within the fellowship of believers. And so this is what he's saying. You know, gather together so that you can stir each other up to love. And Jesus basically said in John 13, this is going to be the badge of the Christian. You want to know what cites a Christian to the, identifies a Christian to the community? Jesus said it's going to be the way you'd love one another. They're going to know you're my followers, my disciples, by the way you love each other. And we all have had experiences, we've all seen situations, we've all heard of situations that would certainly make it look like there isn't a lot of validity to that at times. I want to be careful with that in the sense of always remembering the church is made up of people who live and fall in flesh and we fail and fall short. The idea is how do we restore each other in the process? How we come alongside each other and lift each other up when we have fallen short, when we have failed each other. It's just like in a marriage when, when something happens that, that one falls short of and, and administering to the other. It creates a tension. How do you get through that and into a, a stronger, more powerful relationship because of it? Well, the church is the same way. We struggle with these things. We struggle with each other. Uh, and we put up with each other at times. And, and, uh, and uh, all with the intent to, to be collectively together, stirring each other up in such a way as to create an environment where God can do His work in each of us. And that we do, as a result, the works that God has prepared for us. I refer to the local church, and there's a number of movements uh, over the last... Uh, few decades and probably through the history of the church, but uh, have, have de-emphasized the idea of, of local churches and, and, and belonging and being a part of a local body, but, but just the reality, well, you, you know, when you are saved, you become a part of the body of Christ and it's a very casual uh, relationship. In fact, I would have to confess that I even took that approach for a, a period of time. I come out of the 70s and 80s where that was really fostered. And uh, it probably explains a little bit by why we're behind on keeping up with the bylaws on areas of membership and other issues. And over the last few years, it's really hit home the importance of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ needing each other. Quite candidly, uh, I have to say, the way the body of Christ here, this local 
congregation, but not only our fellowship, but the body of Christ, even in a geographical area here, has ministered to me in my crises over the last two decades. And I've had several. And it tells me how important it is that the body of Christ knows each other, that we're part of each other, that we're committed to each other. And I have felt that, and and now more than ever, uh, I want to emphasize it and make it a part of the reality of what we see. And so uh, we emphasize the idea of what it is to be a part of a local church. And a local church is someone, a group of Christians who believe in, and meet in a local geographical area together who are you know, basically ones who have confessed Jesus Christ, uh, they believe in their hearts that He is the Son of God, that they've repented, that they've been baptized. If, if you look at, at, at Acts chapter 2, uh, the people that were pierced to the heart, and by the way, I believe that's a point that, that God worked in their heart. There's already the transitions already happened. They've been pierced in their heart, and now they say, oh my goodness, now that we, we, we see who God is and, what, and we believe in Him, now what do we do? Repent. Be baptized. Enter into a relationship and, and, and with the body there, and that's what they did, and they did it over and over and over as the church initially grew in the area of Jerusalem, to so where there was thousands in, in a relatively short period of time. People ask, "Is baptism important?" Yes. Is it required for salvation? No. I was part of a congregation initially when I got uh, when I when I came to know the Lord. I had not been a part of any church. I started going to a church that a friend of mine had uh, pointed out to me, and uh, and another friend of mine had gone to, and said if they can help him, they can help me. And uh, the one of the things was the emphasis on baptism. Now it's interesting. I don't uh, the pastor did not hold to what they call typically water salvationists meaning you have to be baptized in order to be saved. But there were a number of people, old-timers in this congregation, that had a, a touch with a prior history, if you will, of you know not playing cards, not going to the movies, not dancing, you know, uh, all of those things. And one of them was also water salvation. If you haven't been baptized, you're running, you know, you're, you're running on thin ice at best. And the idea was is that, gosh, whatever, whatever happens, Bob, you don't want to have a car accident and die and not have been baptized. And, and, you know, you hear that and you're thinking, okay, but that's not the motivation for baptism. There's nowhere in Scripture that really pushes that. The idea is, is that believers confess and, and, and hold out that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and they want to relate to Him. And baptism is the way we do that. And we relate to Him and to the body of Christ as, as believers through the act of baptism. Uh, Paul gives a powerful description of baptism in, in the book of Romans in chapter 6. And I'm not going to go through all the details there other than the fact that he draws, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but he draws the picture of, 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 of as you read it and, and think about it this way, somebody is standing in the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the water. Okay, so here's the water. Somebody's standing. And, 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 and he, it says that you were baptized, that you were put to death, that you were buried with Christ. What happens in baptism, and I'm referring to immersion, okay, that's the preferred way of baptism as I see it in the, in the Scripture. As you see it and as it looks at it, the person is what? Buried. And the water literally closes in over you as if a, and I've heard it expressed, watery grave. 
And then it said, Paul says, then you're resurrected to walk in the newness of life, with, you know, through Christ, and, and 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 you're resurrected. And it's a powerful. To me, that was the symbolism. That was what the pastor had shared with me. That's what I went into baptism understanding, and with one exception, which is an interesting thing. Uh, my coming to understand things of the Lord came through two groups of uh, people, two couples, uh, over a period of a year and a half. Both of them Christian bookstore owners that I was doing work for and trading labor for, for uh, books. I, if they would pay for the stuff that I made for them, I would install it and take care of it and finish it for, for free if they would give me books in lieu of my, my wages. And uh, the first group were, were Christian Missionary Alliance, and the second group were Pentecostal. And one thing that I, I figured was going to happen after all the books that Arliss and, and Tex had given me uh, Arles and Tex Little owned the, uh, the. They were the names of the people with the second bookstore where we were, and I had, at that point in time, I actually accepted the Lord. I'd read all these books and stuff, and I, I expected, quite candidly, that I was going to go under the water, come up, and I was going to be speaking in tongues. It didn't happen. I didn't mean think I had to make it happen, so that was a good thing. And the other side of it is, think again about the tradition of these people. They were uh, secessionists. They did not believe in the gift of tongues, and, and I, of course, I didn't know nothing about that. And, and if I had come up speaking in tongues, they probably would have baptized me again, uh, held me under even longer. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that you know, it's a confession of faith. When you get baptized, if there's no faith, if there's no act of, of, of confession and, 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 and belief in your heart, you're just getting wet. That's all there is to it. That's why we believe in a baptism and, and, and teach a baptism here that does not involve the infant baptism. An infant can't make the confession of faith. We believe it's an act of, of choosing and acting to belong to the body of Christ and identifying with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And so we, we, we emphasize that it's not something that happens to an infant, but it's something that a, a person who has made a conscious choice, they've come to the conclusion that they know what sin is and they are one. Okay, They know that they are a sinner and that they need a Savior and they know who He is and they've already confessed him and believed. So when I have the opportunity to baptize somebody, I say I ask them to make their confession of faith before they're actually baptized, and 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 then I, I'll make the statement something to the effect of, "You're now being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, based on your confession of faith, and bury them in Christ and raise them in Christ." And 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 it's it's a powerful moment. I, I get goosebumps even talking about it because it's such an intricate part of being a part of the body of Christ. So do I call it important? Absolutely. That's why it's on our membership role. Is to, you've been baptized. You've made this identification with the body of Christ, with your Lord, and you've drawn into it. So confess, believe, repent, and be baptized. And somebody says, well, why didn't they say be baptized right there uh, in, in Acts chapter 2? Well, you know, uh, it... it it didn't have to because, right? I mean, why does it say you know be baptized there? But it doesn't say it in some other places. And and the idea is, is Paul always thought I believe in the whole. And so when he says you've confessed and you've become a part of the body of Christ, and he only talks about part of it over here, he's he's making the draw that well, you already heard you know that this part is just part of that picture. He doesn't see repentance and baptism and, and as individual things, but a collective act. Of, of, of coming to Christ and knowing Him and worshiping Him and wanting to identify with Him. 
And so uh, it, it, the other picture that, that, that is drawn in the New Testament of, of being buried with Christ, raised with Christ, the other side of that is that when you're raised with Christ to walk in a newness of life, the idea of, of, of what First uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about, that we now become citizens of, of the kingdom of God. We're, we're, no, we're, we're royalty. We're, we're no longer part of this world, but we're a part of God's world. We're pilgrims. We're aliens to the world. And, 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 and citizens of, of the kingdom of God. All of this is the part of being in the, in the church, the body of Christ as a whole. Maybe use the word universal. I'm cautious with that because that's what the word Catholic means. People draw in, you know, ideas from that. But the idea is the whole body of Christ at any given point on the earth and, and those that have preceded us as well uh, are, is, the, is the church, the body of Christ. And... Uh, and we're citizens of the kingdom of God. So we come back to this idea here where, where, where Hebrews is saying we need to stir each other up uh, and, and, and stir one another up to, to, to love and to, and to the works that God has put before us. And I, I see this as uh, stated more often in Scripture in a lot of places in different ways, but in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Again, verses that you're familiar with, I'm sure. Uh, but just looking at, at uh, uh, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I challenge anybody who says that you don't need the organized church to be a part of the body of Christ to read that and explain it away for me. It's very clear that we are to come together to encourage, to build up. And, and, and there's other parts of, of Ephesians that speaks to, you know, uh, as we encourage one another, let no, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Anything that's discouraging and, and, and divisive and mean. And so... The reality, this is the, the picture that I see. We're, we're to come together and, and on a local, it has to happen on a local basis, obviously. Now, if you go to the, 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 the letters, just reading the letters of Paul, any one of them you're going to read, and he'll say, to the church at Rome or to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus, whatever he's speaking about as, as he's going through. So that the idea is, is obviously he's speaking about a particular geographical local group of people that he's talking to. And as he does, he gives them instruction based on either things that they need to hear or problems they've been going through, whatever, that, as we look at that. But is there a structure to this church? And I believe there is. And I'm not going to go into great detail with that this morning, but uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says, uh, and, and again, verses that are familiar to us, uh, it says uh, that uh, God gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He has given the body leaders and teachers and certain people that have come into the picture at various points in times, either historically uh, as the apostles or or, or to, to set the stage and, and the apostles and, and the teaching of the apostle and, and the gospel message, the foundation, uh, the rest of us building on that through the, the, the work that we do. And, and so 
we've, you know, we have this picture of leadership, specifically that he mentions here, and it's mentioned also uh, by Paul in his uh, what they call pastoral epistles, dealing with uh, Timothy and Titus, and 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 reading in there uh, the idea that there are men who are called to lead the congregation. The the term is elders. Sometimes that you hear. Uh, presbyters, overseers, pastors, they're all basically the same people. Uh, they are, are elders who have been called to lead the church and, and to teach. And so as we've shared, you know, you know I, I know uh, here, we are an elder-led church. Somebody says, well, do you ever come to the congregation for anything? Oh, yeah, if we... The church is going to go into any significant indebtedness or buy something and spend a significant amount of money. We want to be collective together and, and, and in on it together. And uh, we bring it to the body, uh, the, the, the affirmation of elders, uh, the, the affirmation of our bylaws. All of this stuff is done as a, a group of people together. But the elders are to lead, and they lead in a particular way. They're there as the structure, if you will, they're called to teach, to oversee, to protect a local group of believers, often referred to as a flock. Interesting way of looking at us, but they're also called shepherds and under-shepherds and the idea of the key or the master shepherd or the key shepherd, Jesus Christ, and we are coming under him to shepherd and to lead. In Acts chapter 20, you have um, uh, Paul, Paul uh, calling on the uh, elders of Ephesus, very specifically, to come and meet with him. Uh, he's wanting to meet with them before he goes to Jerusalem, realizing that the odds are he's not going to see them again. And uh, so uh, Paul speaks to, the, uh, to them. He says, now from uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Again, very clearly, the elders of the church where? At Ephesus. Did all the elders of all the churches come at one time? To, no, the church at Ephesus. He wanted to speak to their elders. Okay, And when they came to him, he says to them that, uh, you know, what's going on with him and this type of thing. But he wanted them to say very specific words to him, to them, bound in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful, you know, pay careful attention to yourselves means make sure you're staying right with Christ. Help and, and yourselves would be even among the elders. Minister one to another to make sure you guys are staying in tune with the body of Christ. Be accountable to one another. Hold each other accountable. And it says, and and so he says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his own blood. Still speaking very specifically of the church of Ephesus, but a general statement too. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He's saying, you know, you guys are going are in charge of protecting the flock, teaching in such a way that people can see what false teaching is. Paul talks at another point in uh, uh, that the the, the, the um, 
the people, people are going to fall away in such a way that they want to hear what tickles their ears rather than the message of Jesus Christ. And they're going to look for teachers. We're to be able to mark that and to say, this is, this is not of God. This is something that man has put together, man has made. Oftentimes when we stand in the pulpit and we make a statement, and I'll, uh, I, I'll make one for the moment just as, as an example, to, to rest in the Mormon faith is not to be saved. Somebody says, well, the Mormons are Christians. They, they say they're the Church of Christ, Latter-day Saints. I, you can say whatever you want, but they preach another gospel. Somebody says, what's another gospel? Go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul makes it very clear. Anything that is outside of what he has taught, what has been taught to them. In fact, he goes as far as to say, uh, you know, if, if, even if I come to you, he says, even if an angel comes to you, and of course that's what the Book of Mormon claims, an angel came to them, and that for years they called that another gospel, the Book of Mormon. Until I think until this scripture really confronted them head on, and in fact I was traveling uh, with a, a a guy who was an inventor. He invented a product that, that the company I was marketing with, doing consultation with, was going to market, and we were going to be traveling together for about two weeks. And my friend that I had been witnessing to, that I had known for years, uh, I had been a Christian at this point for just a few years, uh, and. I wanted to be able to, I thought, boy, this would be a great time to share the gospel with Glenn, not realizing that, that this other guy was a Mormon. And, I, and, and, and as we started, he jumped on the gun first, and, and he started to talk to, and, and I said, oh, you, you know, you're adding to this. You're making something different than what's there. And he said, oh, you guys always do that. You talk about revelation and adding to the word. That's just adding to the book of revelation. It has nothing. No, I said, no, I'm referring to, and I, I was so excited because I had just learned this. I'm referring to Galatians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, along in there, and, and, and opened my Bible and read them. There was never another discussion from him the rest of the trip. What can he say? Okay, there is false teaching. There are, and, and that's what, what Paul would identify, and Peter and others would, as false teachers, T- Timothy, Titus, would, would, were trained to see that these, you know, what Paul calls wolves. That's not the only example, but I'm just saying, as soon as you make a statement like that, some groups of people are going to say, oh boy, look out for these guys. They're, you know, really cutting into the, this. And I... But that's what elders are called to do. They're called to cut into it and identify truth and false teaching. True teaching and false teaching. And there's a good reason for this. And, and, and any man who, who desires to be an, an elder needs to think about this very, very seriously. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, uh, Scripture says, Obey your leaders, referring to the elders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now listen to this. Leaders, elders, as those who will have to give an account. And the writer of Hebrews kind of pleading, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Come alongside and help them. When they're wrestling with these things, help them. Don't get critical. You know, come alongside. For that would be of no advantage to you. But, but the idea is, is to give an account. Where is this accounting going to happen? I believe it's the same place that any, all accountings for Christians will happen in the sense of, 
of what it says in Galatians or First uh, Corinthians chapter three about the idea of coming before the throne of God and being held accountable for all that He has given to you and what you've done with His resources. Those who have taught, those who have led people in the in the, in the teaching and the leadership of the church are going to be, in a sense, held at a higher accountability. So he says, well, that's not, you know, is that fair? Yeah, I think it's the right way. I think it should be a heavy responsibility. I think getting into the pulpit should be a heavy responsibility. And so we have this picture of, of, of elders and leaders who are accountable before the throne of God, the way they lead you, protect you, and teach you. So I, I, I put here in my notes, this general pattern still is basic today, but... Gosh, there's so many churches and fellowships. Which one? And I'm not even sure I'm going to have time to even get to that. But, but as much as, as to identify the, the, the... Go online. It, well, you don't have to go online to do this. You go to the, 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 the phone book if they still have the... They still have phone books, right? Uh, and uh, you go online, type in Churches Fortuna, California. And you're going to get over 20 listed. And if you want the larger geographical area, it's probably approaching 30. And that's not talking about home churches and other groups that aren't just simply are not listed with phone numbers in other ways. Okay. And so here's this list. How do I know which one to go to? I'm not going to suggest to you today, I'm not going to draw a line to this one, that one, or that one. All I'm going to say is, is that what you, God puts you and me, in a sense, responsible he holds me responsible for what I teach from here, but he holds you responsible for what you hear and decide to do with it. And if I'm tickling your ears and you're happy with that, and that's all I'm doing, and I'm not leading you in, in, in growth and, leadership and, 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 and maturity in Christ, that's not only my fault, it's your fault too. So how do you know which one? And I, I, I put here, the believer is called to choose. The first thing you look for is the gospel being taught. And the gospel is simple. The life of Jesus Christ. And I mean the full life of Jesus Christ. So it's not just His birth, His death, His burial, His resurrection and ascension, but it's His preexistence as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were created through Him and there's nothing that exists that wasn't created by Him. Okay, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Okay, Pre-existent Christ. The One who emptied Himself and came and became a man. Philippians chapter 2. If, that's, if, you, if you visit a couple of times and you haven't heard some part of that, I'm going to suggest that, that, that you may be concerned about what's going on in the church. However, that doesn't mean you don't give it a little more time. Okay, But, but I'm just suggesting that this is something you're, that needs to be there, that you need to see, that you need to be looking for. That someone that preaches the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the sovereign King of His church. He is the head, the only head. He is the only way to salvation. And by no other name under heaven can anybody be saved. These are the things that need to be emphasized. And, uh, you know, Paul says there's only one Gospel. Again, go back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. And so, uh, the, the, the test is, is, to me is initially the teaching. Does it 
preach the gospel. And another way to, to look at this is not just the teaching and, and does it, you know, is, is, the pre- preacher, is the person that's preaching preaching from the Word of God? Or, or I mean, I've, I've been to some places that I have to say I've visited some places uh, when I've been out of the area where I expected to hear the gospel and I never hardly heard a scripture, which kind of surprised me. And, I, and I'll tell you another way to deal with that in just a minute. But anyway, the, the idea is that if you hear the Word of God being teached, especially declaring the Gospel, and, and, and again, Paul writes very clearly to the Thessalonians, test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And John says, test the spirit of all the teachings out there and to see. Does it confess Jesus Christ and what we've just been talking about? When John says, does it confess Jesus Christ, it just doesn't say, oh, we're Christians. It means who Jesus Christ is, and it takes you right back in, by implication of what, who John is and what he's written, all the way back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, came to dwell, etc. Does it, you know, does it measure up? If it doesn't, it's not a place you want to stay. The next thing you want to look at is not, is in the teaching is, is before you commit to it, is what is their statement of faith? What are their bylaws? Is there anything that I can see in there that's contrary to what I understand of the gospel? In the scripture. After you've done this, and, 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 and it takes time. You can't do this in one visit. But let's say after a, a, a couple of visits, you're, you're still not really sure. You've heard a couple of messages. You're still not are, Almost all the churches today have archived their scripture, their sermons in some way. Ask one of the leaders, can I hear some sermons from, the, from your archive? They may tell you to go to a podcast location. They may tell you to go to a tape library. There are actually still some of those that exist. A CD library, other issues where you can hear more messages that the pastor has done. I emphasize this because I, have, I feel that in many ways over the years I have seen people take far less interest in the, the, the church they choose than other issues in sense of, 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 of doing activities. They spend far more time investigating their car insurance or what car to buy. And yet here's the thing is talking about the eternal life. Here's the thing it's talking about. You're not even a part of the world that cares about cars anymore. You're part of the kingdom of God. Where's your value system? I know in the opposite of that is numbers of people that I have met over the years who, as soon as they realize they're having to relocate into a particular area, they immediately start researching the churches before they ever get there. Maybe the first thing they do is they go to their pastor where they are and say, do you know and look for Being a part of the, of the fellowship is so important. You know, I, 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 I look at... I've been a part of a small town most of my life. I, I lived in Santa Barbara for a few years, and to me, that's a big city. Now, even today, most people look at it and say it's not really a... You know, it says the city of Santa Barbara, but yeah, it's kind of hard to say... You know, but it's a pretty good-sized group of people there now. Okay? But most of my life I spent in Santa Maria, California, San Luis Obispo, California, Paso Robles, Atascadero, 
Paradise, California, back in the 70s when it was just a dot on the skyway above Chico. Uh, and uh, 30 years here. Actually, a little more than that. So I've lived in small towns most of my life. And there is something, and, and, and this way I want to relate it, there's something even unique about living in a small town. Man, when there's a crisis, it's amazing how the town rallies. Now, also living in a small town, it's amazing how fast information gets out about things that are going on. Last night, I got phone calls and a visit from my, my two grandsons who were staying with their dad and their dad uh, came by my house to see if I was okay. The reason was that, no, this was Friday, excuse me, Friday. Uh, the reason was this, that the uh, chief of police fire truck had parked in front of my house and the double parked so it had its lights going. To he was wanting to, you know he was or no excuse me it was yesterday he was bringing by some some dinner from the men's dinner the night before. <laughs> and I got phone calls. Are you okay? My grandson, Papa, are you okay? You know, uh, people, you know, and and I, you know, you live in a small town, okay. But in the framework of the congregation, I actually had a couple of people even, in, you know, call me. They, they hear that I'm not feeling well. They, they, they text or call or email and want to know how I'm doing. They're praying for me. This is all part of being a part of the body of Christ, of working together, encouraging one another. You know, I really, I have to confess, I've been really down the last few weeks. Knowing that you guys are praying for me is such an amazing lift up. The fact that you let me come to the pulpit Sunday morning when I'm not able to do a lot of other things and still preach instead of putting the pastor out to pasture, uh, is, is, to me is, is, is an amazing thing, and I am blessed. And it's part of it because we have become that, a body of believers together. We're members of one another. We share the basic foundation of the gospel the confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior, the belief in our heart that He's the Son of God come in the flesh. The Bible is the God-breathed Word. We share this together. It's what identifies us. There's more I want to say to this idea of being a part of the body of, of local body of Christ. We're going to have to get to that next Sunday. But, but what I want to emphasize is just that reality that this is what Christ has done for us by going to the cross, by dying on the cross, by saying it is finished and embracing us into His, by, uh, through a predestined plan before the foundation of the world, embracing us into His kingdom. He has let us know how much He loves us and how much He wants us to be in love with Him and in love with each other in the sense of caring and stirring each other up. And, love, and, 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 and encouraging each other to serve the Lord together and to grow in the Word of Christ. I go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And, uh, uh, the idea of the, of the, the leaderships and the, and the elders and all these things, the gift of the church, was the reason for that is to, is to build up the body of Christ as a mature group of believers so that they are able to do the work of the, of the church, the work of God, the, God, the good works that God has preordained in other places it says. And, and the idea is, is that what is the good work? Well, part of it is 
the Great Commission, to go out and to, to see and you know, share the gospel and, and to give your testimony and to lead others into a relationship with Christ. We, we encourage each other to do all of this as a body of local people together. Where we can, if we, we may choose to interact at times with other churches who uh, hold the same foundation we hold, even though they might believe in a few peripheral things differently. I've been asked, Bob, I heard you uh, have visited a, a such and such a church. Uh, you know, while you were on your vacation, you made a comment. You visited such and such a church, and it turns out it may have been a Pentecostal church. Yeah, I went to church with some of my friends over in such and such a place, and and, and, and they said, well, can you worship in that church? Yeah, because I know them, and I know I know their faith, and I know the church, and I know their pastor, and I know his faith. I've, I've, they, and, and, and so, yeah, I can worship there. Well, what happens when they speak in tongues? I said, they speak in tongues. I don't get into the criticism of that. I don't worry about it. The question is, did they preach the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the, the God-breathed Word? And the answer to this particular question in that particular church was absolutely. I can, I can worship with someone who's, who is not like-minded in every single aspect of the way I look at the Word of God. But when it comes to that foundation, there's no fudging. And we see it so clearly in, in, the, in, in, in the, 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 the very essence of that in communion. Communion is one of those things. I see communion as an act of worship that was established in the body of Christ. Every time they gathered together, they broke bread together. Some people see that breaking of bread as literally the breaking of bread, i.e. a meal. But the way I see it used over and over again in reference, I think it's communion, breaking the bread, and Christ broke the bread at the Last Supper. And I believe that this is something that we do together to worship God in such a way as to draw us into Him and recognizing and again uh, acknowledging who He is but doing it individually and collectively together as the body of believers and realizing how many times this has been done now across the globe in the last 24 hours and in a few more hours to go. And one of the things that Jesus gave us to, to see and understand who He is and what He's done and, and, and the pictures of, uh, that the, the, the apostles gave us. One is communion, the other is baptism. You know, we share communion every week. I would be uncomfortable if I were in a, co- a congregation that didn't do that. So now, does that mean I can't worship at a congregation that only does it once a month or once a quarter? No, that's not what I said. What I said is that I'm most fulfilled in my worship and my understanding of this particular issue when I'm where it's once a week. At least. Not necessarily only, but at least. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Those were the words that gave us the the invitation and, and, and pulled us in. Our sins are forgiven. Nothing that we bring to the table, He brings it all. Ask the ushers to come. Uh, to uh, pass the communion out, the worship team to come back up. And uh, as you're served the communion, hold it until you've all been served and we'll share it together.
sin and then confessing his sin and, and, and before God. And I, the reason why I put it that way, I just want to make sure. You now, some people say, well, if you hadn't been caught, you wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know, you would never get right with it. David got caught and then he became right. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way it happens. He got caught with the sin of Bathsheba and he realized all that he had done. He confessed before God. He says, break my heart. Renew it. What you want from me, Lord, isn't my sacrifices. You want my a broken and contrite heart. One who is mourning over their sin. What God wants from all of us. But with the confidence that as we confess our sin, He forgives our sin. And He embraces us and holds us. He says, you're my... We're brothers and sisters. By the way, to have the, the God of all creation, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, to call us brothers and sisters. Wow. Joint heirs with, with what He has inherited. All because of what He did for us. And He pictured it so clearly on the night He was betrayed by taking bread at the, at the dinner, breaking it after He had given thanks, and giving it to the disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me were his words. At the end of the meal, he took the cup of wine and now labeled it as the picture of his blood. He said, this is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant. What covenant? The covenant of grace. To complete the picture of grace, what Abraham had longed to see. <laughs> to complete that picture. This is what I am doing as I pour out my blood. I'm giving my life for you. As often as, I, as you do this, 
do it in remembrance of me until I come again, were his words to them and to us. Father, again, we thank you that we can come to you with a confidence that the God of all creation has opened the door of salvation to us, has embraced us, saved us. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know that, I ask, Lord, that they wouldn't uh, go home today without dealing with that, whether it's with someone they know here or with me or with one of the other elders. Lord, we bring that before you and we just ask for you to minister in their hearts that we all might have that absolute confidence to know that we have eternal life with you and that we are already now in the kingdom of God. But Lord, we also want to serve you. We don't want just to worship you and to thank you, but we want to serve you. And so we ask you that you would work in our hearts, not only creating in us a new heart and a sense of worship and, and, and rightness before you, but in a sense of service and, and, and serving you wherever you choose to lead us whether it's in the next hours, the next days, or the next weeks, wherever you put us, Lord, we have to. We, we believe that in your context of sovereignty, as you see everything, Lord, that, that you are leading, that you are putting us where you need us to be, to testify that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Savior of our souls. We worship you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.